Hello there, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the podcast that devours the stories of others in the hope that they might improve our approach to life too. And today it's the turn of Joe Wicks. GQ magazine voted me the 10th worst dressed man in Britain. <gasps> My brother said, oh, we got invited to um, premiere of an Incredibles and I was like, let's take Oscar, our little nephew. When I got, like, I, it was the summer, it was boiling hot, so I'm turned, I turned up in shorts and granddad slippers, like rubber slippers that you like wear on the beach, and I got a pat. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, here's the show. neighbour hello my uh, yeah we're just down the road I'm literally 10 minutes away so I've just finished a workout jumped in the shower got up here in 10 minutes and still here got wet locks from your shower yeah <laughs> and right here you are I've been wanting to come on this podcast for so long I've never wanted to ask you so I've just been waiting I thought one day I hope she asked me and, and you finally did and I was honestly I said to Rosie she's just texted me she's got me on happy place <laughs> you should have bloody said no, but it's weird because we're like friends and it's like, it's, it's your thing, isn't it? It's your project. So I thought if she ever has, wants to talk about something to do with, you know, health, fitness or my journey, I'll be here waiting for you. But I didn't want to be the one to say, <laughs> Fern, get me on your show. Well, you should have because I should have done it a long time ago. And it's it's so lovely to have you on the show, especially as you've had such a life change in the last, well, even the last few months with the birth of your second child. How's little Marley getting on? It's been amazing. He came three weeks early. So we were like, plan to, you know, have a nice chilled Christmas, have a night in a spa and all that. And we're that actually right on, out the window. We're on our way to an event called Global Citizen. It was like that concert at the Royal Albert Hall with Stormzy and Chris Martin and all that. And we were, she came down the stairs, dressed up. She looks amazing. I was like, yes, we're going to have an amazing night. Um, and then she said, Joe, I think like my waters are broken. I said, no, it can't be. Like, we're three weeks away. She called the hospital. They said, come down, got to Kingston Hospital. And they said, oh, you've actually, your waters are broke. You're going, you're going into labour. So the next day, 3 p.m. the next day, Marley arrived. So he was in hospital for 10 days because he had an infection. So that's a little bit rough because you obviously, you're so used to them him coming home and having that early, that first week together. But he settled in. He's three weeks old and he's beautiful. I love him. And I loved, I, I was following um, what was going on on Instagram. And on Christmas Eve, when you posted that, He'd come out of hospital. I was so happy for you that you that you had your little boy at home. He had the all clear. He was all good. What a lovely moment. Yeah, I, I was keeping my fingers crossed because, you know, they're, they're amazing down there. The NHS, honestly, the nurses and the, the, the neonatal care unit, they were like so loving and caring. You, they, we forget how lucky we are to have mm. that. And they were cuddling him and looking after him 24 hours around the clock. And I kept saying to the doctor, oh, do you think he'll be out by Christmas? And they wouldn't guarantee it because he was on antibiotics. They wouldn't. They waited till his marker got down to a certain number. Then the day the day before that, like, it's looking good. And I just kept my fingers crossed. And yeah, he literally arrived Christmas Eve. So we got to spend Christmas Day together. And um, Indy's obviously 18 months old now and she loves him. Like She's so uh, caring and affectionate towards him. She strokes him and when he cries, she like tries to give him his dummy and puts her blanket on him and stuff. So 
I think I was worried that there was going to be a jealousy thing, but I haven't noticed that yet. She mm. she does if I'm cuddling him low, she wants to come, jump on my lap. But when he's just around her, she's really, really kind and sensitive towards him. It is a tough one because instantly you've got to split your time and your energy between two kids, even well, more especially probably with a newborn baby. And it is such a concern. But I think often the elder kid will take on this lovely role of like nurturing and and they want to be part of that. And it's just a gorgeous thing to see. Did you have that strange moment where... Rosie had obviously given birth. You've got little Marley there. And then Indy walks in for the first time and you're like, she was a baby yesterday and now she looks bloody massive. Yeah, the size of her. So I look at Marley's, because he was tiny, he was only like six pounds. I hold Marley's head and I look at Indy comes along and looks next to him. And he's got, she's got a max hair like a watermelon. <laughs> I'm like, you look Stewie off a family guy. But yeah, it is. It's weird how grown up she suddenly feels. Mm. And now she's really kind of, you know, she's saying yes and no and mummy and daddy. And it's amazing just how much they understand. Although they can't talk back. She really understands so much of what we're saying. So I'm just enjoying kind of being at home. I've had a couple of weeks where I've slowed down and, you know, helping Rosie out. Because in the morning, like, Rosie needs a bit more sleep. You know, I can't leave it to her. So I'm taking Indy to the park for a couple of hours or we go to Gymboree and stuff just to give Rosie a couple more hours because he's up every few hours for milk through the night. Yeah, it's tough, that first bit. And mentally as well, like, it seems difficult now, a bit more difficult because the first time around you just, you had Indy, but you could lay in bed and snooze and nap the next day. Now I'm having to get up and kind of be there for Indy. So you don't get as much sort of snoozy time but yeah we're getting through it I said to Rosie we've got to think this is a very short time so rather than see it as a, a frustration and something that's just driving you mad like come to it with love like and pick him up and be like look he just wants a little cuddle and he's, he's so little and so by changing my mindset I'm really dealing with it a lot easier and mm. being more calm and stuff around it you are um ridiculously pragmatic with all of these things I've sort of noticed that from hanging out with you in the past that you do approach most situations like something as <clears throat> tricky and challenging as a newborn baby and another small kid two kids under two you know that is stressful I remember that myself and you are unbelievably tired you know it's insane how tired and run down you get and you just don't have a second to yourself but you seem to always approach situations from a very practical and optimistic angle why do you think that is I think it's just important to have that, you know, that kind of view on things. I, I grew up, like, I had a really manic, you know, upbringing. I, I talk about it like it was a lot of shouting and swearing and doors getting slammed. And I don't want to be that parent. That's in me, like, natural default setting is to get really stressed and worked up. So I've, I've read books and I've listened to podcasts. There's an amazing book called um, Happy Parent, sorry, Calm Parent, Happy Baby. And it teaches you just that, you know, you've got fight or flight. Or you could, there's another thing where you just have a breath and just take a moment to kind of um, like acknowledge that a child doesn't have a rational brain so if they're having a little meltdown and they're having a really stressful and it's really stressing around I have the choice to get worked up and get stressed and make it worse or I can choose to actually just take a moment and just accept it and, and come at it from an angle of love and that I'm, I have to tell myself to do this I'm learning it's like a skill that mm. the more I do it and the more I see Rosie so patient and calm around Indy that I've actually seen her and think well she can react in that way when we're on a flight or on a, in a restaurant or in a car like, and the baby's screaming I just kind of learned to just really like diffuse it in my mind and just come at it a little bit better and it it helps a lot because the more stress you get you know the baby just gets more worked up I know but it's so hard because I I mean I'm still struggling with this now my kids are nearly seven and four and it can be so difficult to remain tolerant and to go with the flow it's really hard because you are also you know they're part you you're wrapped up in that kind of thing my my mum, who is lovely, can be quite fiery as well. So I've got that in me, the sort of propensity to be a bit feisty and I can be a right angry little bitch if I want to be. Do you know what I mean? So I have to really 
have a moment and think and stop and it is hard it's a learned behavior from the experience we had as children so you know i and i i have to really kind of remind myself that what i'm doing now how i'm interacting with indy and rosie in front you know and and with rosie in front of indy like is really developing her characteristics and her personality and the way she's going to engage with people in the future so i'm really aware of that like you know there was so much shouting there was doors getting slammed and my dad was in and out of rehab for drug addiction so i had a pretty manic upbringing but i want to be a calm parent i want to be a patient you know husband i want to be kind to indian rosen so it is something i have to work on but the more you do it the easier it becomes mm. but not every you know there's not every day to be perfect there's there's times when i you know get stressed out but i can just like walk away go and do a workout compose myself a little bit as opposed to kind of making it a stressful thing and shouting and having that like, confrontation with rosie well it's interesting because i think <clears throat> if any of us look at our childhoods you know in whatever shape and texture they held um we react in two ways we either mimic exactly as our parents had done and and follow suit with their characteristics and how they react to things or even their line of work you know their personality type or we kind of I guess subconsciously rebel against it and that you know is usually in quite a positive way so you know a lot of my friends that have had um, parents that like your father have had addiction problems or um, temper problems or whatever have really consciously driven against that to become the opposite and I think that shouldn't be overlooked because that takes so much work and effort and dedication to know that you can be a separate person to them and I wonder how that's been for you like how 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 challenging have you found it to go, you know, that's how my dad was, but I'm going to be a completely separate person over here with a different set of rules and a different ethos to life. I talk about that a lot with my mum. We sit down because she's so proud of me. You know, she'd always text me and say, I'm so proud of you and the man you've become. And, I, and we talk about like the direction and, and different steps in my life where I could have gone in a different direction. And mm. we had two next door neighbours that lived next to us. We lived in a council estate and the two boys next to us were the same age as me and my brother, Nicky. And they both went on to become really like heavy drug drug addicts. And we see them knocking about Surbiton and sometimes it's really sad to see the direction their life went when me and Nicky just never went, even though it was around us and we, we were exposed to it, we never ever got involved in that. We always thought, we've seen, I suppose we saw the damage and destruction that it done mm. to my mum and dad, like always breaking up. He would always be in rehab, back, you know, be clean and he'd relapse. So we just made a conscious decision, I think. And my mum, you know, although, although it is mad and manic and she still had, she still in, installed the right, you know, ethos and the right philosophies and she get, she gave us rules and boundaries like she knew she, you know how mums can spot a naughty kid mm. she would say Joe if you keep hanging out with that kid you're going to end up really in trouble he's bad news and I would always like nah shut up mum I'm going to the youth club I'm going down Epsom mm. we're going to go out to the park go down Epsom yeah, I'm, going, I'm going to Epsom I'm, I'm going to go and have fun and I'm, I'll be home at 10 o'clock and she was so right like that kid I can think of in my head is in, is in prison now mm. so if, imagine if I had kept hanging out with those people and that was my kind of normal and smoking weed and hanging out and, and doing like petty crime it can it can take you in such a different direction and I just feel like I suppose I was steered a little bit by my mum and I just always instinctively knew that I didn't want to go down that route of you know addiction and, and being involved in that because it's so devastating it can mm. and you know I'm so proud that I've learned from that and I never and I've got a really amazing relationship with my dad now like he's clean um I, I don't look back I think some people can spend years looking back and I've, I'm very much like 
that was the past. That's what happened. But how is my relationship with him today? How do I interact with him today? And how, how is my love for him today? So that's very um, positive. If it's a good way of looking forward as opposed to like always analysing why did that happen and how can I change that? You can't change what happened, but you can control and take responsibility for your life now, can't you? Yeah, and also eradicating resentment because we can all look back and resent how other people have acted in our lives and how that may have affected us. But, you know, where is that going to get you dwelling on it and ruminating on the negative you know, parts of stories. And I think, again, you've approached it with um, such brilliant grounding and, and you're, again, very sort of practical about it. You know that your relationship with your dad is vital and important and you, you're approaching it in, in a really level-headed way, which is, you know, a beautiful thing. And I'm sure it's helped you and him massively. So, so in those moments when your, your mum was saying, look, don't hang out with that dickhead or whatever, have you always had a... Uh, a very tight relationship with her where you where you respected what she said and you actually followed what her wishes were yeah I've always had a close relationship with my mum there's times when we've obviously banged heads like through my teenage years we'd argue because she was she was very strict like she had quite a strict upbringing she left home at 15 and she had my brother when she was 17 and then she had me at, when she was 19 so she was still a kid herself mm. um but she was really strict like we had to tidy our room, we had to make our bed, like we swore and all that, but we just knew what was right and wrong. And so I've always respected her. I've always been like, look, she, she's always thinking about me. She's got the, her best intentions for me. Um, and now I suppose she's seen me grow up and then you have your own family, but she's still so involved. In fact, even more so now because I've got kids, she, she's actually with Indy and Marley now. Oh, so, sweet. So Rosie can pop out and um, just have an hour to herself. But yeah, my relationship with my mum is, it, it kind of, so I've gone through different phases where I've lived with my mum and I've been really close to my mum. Then I've lived with my dad and I've been really close to him. But I, I'm very much grounded with my family. I need I need it personally to be close to my family and friends. So like I'm always arranging dinners. I'm always going on holiday with the boys. I'm always getting my family together for like a roast dinner. Or I'm the one in the family that brings us all together. And I mm. think if I didn't, we would see each other at Christmas and that would be it. Mm. You know, so but, and I kind of sometimes I'm like, I wish other people made the effort, but they, they're so used to me. Being that guy, you know, I arrange a ski holiday. I mean, we're going to Vegas. It's my birthday. We're going to go to Morzine for the weekend, or we're going to go to, um, you know, wherever it might be. And I become that guy. And you know, everyone just sort of expects it's going to be me. <laughs> and I arrange dinners. You've taken on that role, yeah. mate. There's no going back. But that's something that obviously I, I, I'm fortunate I can do. That I love arranging mm. meals out and taking the boys out for nice dinners and stuff. So I'm definitely, um, I'm very connected to my family and friends. And I, when I'm away, I know that I always need to come home. Like I couldn't, although I go to America for a few months a year. I couldn't I couldn't be out there full time. Like I need to be I need to be socially connected to my friends and family. It's important for me to be to be close to them. Oh, it's so important. You know, if 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 anyone listening to this is lucky enough to have that sort of bond with their family or their old schoolmates or whatever, it is integral. I'm the same as you. I, I love being with my family and my cousins and and my old schoolmates are still my core group of friends. And I think when your life is uh, slightly unusual, like ours can be, um, and takes you off in weird directions, it's important to have that grounding. And do you think your need for for that proximity, that close proximity to your family, is a bit of a reaction to how weird your life can sometimes be and how big your life has become? I think it's that thing of connections is so important. And I listen to podcasts. Like I've listened to um, you know Russell Brand and that um, the guy, the Lost Connections book about you know it's so important like we need community and mm. I've got this massive social media community and that's amazing but you also need to look after your real community your family and friends and if you disconnect from them um, and you are just focusing on yourself and your career and that's it, it, it you can feel lost and you can suddenly have anxiety and depression and all these things so I'm just conscious that it's important to have the people close to you and with my, with my dad for example it's really difficult when he's going through depression and, and addiction 
when he relapses, like, I just want to push him away. I just want to go get away from him because it's too hurtful. But I've learned that actually I need to love him and pull him close because that's what he needs. He needs connection. Mm, that's so it's tough though, the hardest, it? Yeah, that's the hardest thing about dealing with addiction is when the, the person you just want to be happy, but they're struggling and you think, all I need to do really is just like give them a hug and say I'm here for you. And it, make, it makes a big difference for sure when you can find the like compassion to do that. But it's well hard. I'm learning. But I'm 34 now. If you asked me 10 years ago and I was 24, I was angry. I was like, fuck it, I'm, I'm going travelling, I don't want to speak to him, I don't want to be involved, I don't want to see if my little brother's doing drugs, I don't want to be around it. But now I've learned that that's not the solution. You've got to, you've got to be there for them and love, love them unconditionally. That's important, I think. Mm, and that compassion that you, that you have talked about, it's, um, it's a hard thing to grab hold of sometimes, compassion, because like you say, we're on our own path and we're trying to reach our own goals and live our own lives and to stop and really have compassion for the people that you find it hardest to sort of locate it for is a challenge, but it seems to be really paying off for you. So it's definitely the way to go or at least an option. If people out there feel like it's not for them, I can't, you know, communicate with a certain individual or whatever, trying to find that compassion as hard as it can be is a more peaceful route for you and them. Definitely. Re- reconnecting. If you are listening, you've got someone that you love and you miss and you wish they were in your life, you know, be, maybe they're never going to reach out to you. Maybe they haven't got it in them, but you could re- you could re- rebuild that relationship. You could be the catalyst to have an amazing, you know, I've got friends that speak to their parents like every few months or once a year. And it's, it's weird to me because I'm so close to my family, but some people are happy like that. But if you do have someone that you really want to reach out to, like don't be frightened to do it because they, they might be more receptive now than they were five years ago. And you could have an amazing friendship or, you know, relationship that could be really beneficial, make you happy in them as well. Well, isn't it weird because... <clears throat> With our phones these days and our, you know, our social media and how we communicate with each other. I mean, this has been talked about a lot, but of course we all think we're so much more connected. You know, we can FaceTime someone in America or we could text someone that's in the middle of Thailand right now and get a response or whatever. Or on social media, we can connect with thousands, or in your case, millions of people at one time and, and have a conversation and a a continuing dialogue yet within our own small lives with the people that really love us it often is more disconnected than ever and that is a terrible shame and I'm not sure how I don't think we can reverse that really because social media has become so ingrained in our everyday life and how we digest information and how we process things and how we express ourselves weirdly as well but we are losing those really needed connections of maybe it's just like knocking on your next door neighbor's door to say how you doing? Or, you know, quite well, I we used to say, we used to say, you got some sugar. I remember going around my next neighbours when I was a kid and saying, can we have some sugar, yeah, some sugar. and some milk? And it's like... It was a cliche fulfilled every time <laughs> we used to do it. didn't have milk or sugar. It's yeah. funny, isn't it? I know, and that just doesn't happen anymore. I mean, when I lived in central London, we're obviously a bit out of London now, but when I was in central London, I didn't even meet my next door neighbour for five years. Really, yeah. Life changed We now, just didn't it? ever cross paths and we had different time schedules going and... I didn't know their name. It's terrible. It's sad. And again, I was in my 20s, so I was kind of less concerned. But I think the focus does need to be on like community and the people that are close to you and also, you know, your family and your immediate friends to... We've all got to make a bit more effort, really, haven't we? Yeah, I'm, I love social media. Like, I see the benefits and I've created this amazing community. And I, I genuinely love like seeing people do a workout and feel good or cook a recipe. And so I'm driven by it and I'm motivated. But I'm, I'm 100% addicted to social media. I don't know how much you are. Yeah, but I think we all are, aren't I, we, I, if we're I, properly honest? You can't deny that, you know, when you when you help people and it, and it feels good and they send love back and positive energy and vibes, it's like, it feels good. I, I love knowing that I'm doing that. But I do have to learn and I have learned to disconnect and if I go 
for dinner with Rosie, like we both leave our phones, or like you were saying, we go for a walk, you leave your phone yeah, because important. otherwise I'll be with Rosie and Indy will do something really cute, and I go, oh my god, that'll look amazing on Weaning Fifteen. Indy, do that, <laughs> do that again, darling. That's that's amazing. Like you're so funny. Do your funny face. So even though I'm trying to disconnect, mm, I'm still. I think that'll be so good, and that's an idea, and that's a recipe. I could take a photo of that meal. So I'm learning. Like if we have a holiday or a weekend away, I can put my phone down. Um, but in the early days, I was so addicted because I was building the community, and I, I didn't want to miss a, a DM and a tweet and stuff. But I'm definitely learning to kind of take a bit of time off, and it, mm. it gives me energy. Like I'll smash it for a month. I'm, all January, I'm working really hard. Loads of live Instagram and Facebook and YouTube workouts. But in February, I'm going to have a month off. I'm going to travel with Indy and Rosie and Marley. Nice. And I need that because then I come back with more energy. You know, because I'm traveling the country doing these UK schools tours. I'm visiting all these schools at the moment. And I'm, I'm, I need so much energy to go in there and do that. And I love it. But if I did that all year round, I would definitely burn out. And I think oh, yeah. I'd start to di- dis- di- not enjoy it as much. So I kind of have blocks of intense work little down period then I can come back and do what I do best which is motivate and inspire people well that's so good and I think again you've really understood for yourself um the need to say no and the need to step back and um to sort of tame that hunger for success because I'm you know I've been doing this a long time but I still I'm really ambitious because I love what I do and I really want it to do well and I find it really hard to switch off and say I'm allowed to give myself, you know, a few days of not thinking about work because I'm always worried, like, what if it all goes wrong or what if no one listens to the podcast anymore or whatever it is? How, how have you got to a place where you feel okay saying nothing for a month and everything's going to be okay still? I think it's that fear of the loss of momentum, isn't it? Like, you've got yeah. such traction with your podcast. Yeah. Like, you want to get all the interviews done. You want to get the bigger, better guests and you want to keep it growing. And it, and it will grow. But if you did have a, a, a bit of downtime, like, your fans and people that care about you and love your podcast will still come back. It's like, mm. I wait a year for the next series of Ozarks or you or, you know, The Sinner. Like, I wait for it. And when it's on, I'm like, I'm just excited. So you've got to imagine that same same mentality. Yeah. Like, people would, um, engage your content and they will still come back and, and enjoy it and love it just as mm. much if you have a break. But I'm obviously very, very successful and very ambitious, but I also know the, um, I'm also very conscious of like, I don't just need to work 365 days a year. I really value like slowing down and having family time because yeah, when I have time off and I'm in America, like I'm losing money, I'm not selling as many books and as many plans and I'm not getting as many brand deals, but I'm having an amazing time with my family and that's something that you can't pay for. Like Mm. it's so, so valuable for me to slow down and take time off and actually spend time with Indy and Rosie and, and now Marley. So I've just got a good balance. Like I'm I'm just kind of, um, I know when to kind of put in the effort and I know when to slow down. And that means I can, I've got much long-term, a much longer-term vision. Mm, that's I important. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, so let's talk about this extraordinary career that you've had and you've built completely on your own from scratch. So when did you realize that this this dream that you had and, and this idea that you had to to help people on on mass and to get your message out there when did you realize that there was traction that people were engaging with what you were saying and that you were building a bit of a following 
it was a really slow process and it's I stop sometimes and think because I just did you see the video I posted the 10 years overnight success story? I did it was brilliant I summarised my 10 years because yeah. 10 years ago I was 24 I was riding down the west coast of America I, I took my bike and me and my mate were like running away literally running away from our girlfriends from a mortgage from work from everything <laughs> and we were lost and but when I came back I started That's great by the way it was really fun <laughs> Live, we was living under like beach huts on Malibu beach Ugh. and sleeping on trampolines and park benches like anywhere we could sleep we'd basically just lay our little roll mat out and tent um, and it was an amazing time but then I got back and I was like I need to do something I need to put my energy into something and I, I really enjoyed exercise I didn't know what I was going to do like I didn't know I was going to build this body coach brand and all that sort of stuff it was very much a basic kind of boot camp personal training business um, and somewhere along the lines I just I saw social media like kicking off and I I wanted to start share, sharing content and sort of engaging with people but again this is way before like people were doing online fitness plans and in, you know Instagrams are getting book deals so I think now you can see my story and think it's like a career and everyone's it's, it's something you can follow and get, get into but I did it just because I just love sharing videos and recipes and stuff and I, I suppose maybe there was like a point where I'd get a little bit of PR like a little magazine would write about me then I'd do a little bit of TV like this morning or loose women and kind of little spikes and stuff but I didn't go on a show and suddenly come home, home with three million followers so my my numbers grew my my business grew like my my income it was a, it was a nice gradual thing so I haven't been dumped into like fame and, and money and stuff and I think that's helped me become grounded and not become an idiot basically and get too excited by it all and kind of drawn into that life of fame I'm, I'm still hanging around the same friends I'm still doing exactly the same thing but I've just been on this journey where I'm so driven and motivated now because I'm clear of my mission which is can I get as many people in the world feeling good and, and exercising and feeling happy um so there's no really there's not one point I can think of it's been a gradual mm. a gradual process but now I suppose the more success you have the more ambitious you become yeah. You know, like I don't come from a family of ambition. Like my mum was a my mum's a social worker, my dad's a roofer. Me and Nikki were the first two to go to university. So we work together, like I said, I am the front of the body coach, I'm the face of the body coach, and if you want to know who's behind it, it's my brother Nikki. And without him, I'd have had I would have had half the success. You know, because he's he's up helping me promote the book, doing newsletters, doing pre-orders for the book, um, the 90 day plan. Like he, he puts in just as much effort as me. And because of that, this business has grown so much. So I'm definitely the face, but he's behind it. The brain's behind That's the so marketing lovely. And stuff. But how lovely to, you know, grown that together. That's such a beautiful thing. And it seems like, <clears throat> I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but you're like a super manifester. So I think, you know, there's obviously tons of research done on like the law of attraction and putting thoughts out there or visualizing things or, you know, it's, it's more than just dreaming. It's actually really believing it's going to happen or, or having a pinpoint focus so much so that it, you know, things happen. And for you, that seems to have definitely been the case that, you know, incrementally you've had these ideas, you've had these goals and then you've executed them and, and you've moved on to the next one. Are you aware of of how good you are at manifesting things and, and for fulfilling those dreams. I remember I listened to The Secret on like the audio cassette tape like about 10 years ago. I thought, oh, this is absolute guff. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. If you imagine you could be a millionaire, you'll be a millionaire. I just thought, it's so Americanized. It's so like, like life coaching kind of stuff. And I just, but now when I look back and I think about what I've achieved and I remember I wrote down on a piece of A4 paper, like, like a spider diagram, I mean, like a really basic I spider love diagram. I doing a spider diagram, Joe. You're talking my language. <laughs> and it said, Joe Wicks, the body coach in the middle, and then I had all these different things come off, like I'd be on the cover of Men's Health one day, I'd have like an online business, I'd have a book deal. I can't believe I had those things in my head when I was, I was, I mean, I literally would have had about 100 boot camp clients and probably like 50 personal training clients. Yet something in my head was like, dream bigger, like imagine yeah, you can do more. Manifester. And it re- all of the stuff, honestly, every single thing came true. 
But yeah, you know, I've worked for it and I think timing's important. Like, I've Oh got yeah, it's in- not like you write a magic spell and it all bloody happens. Of course, there's like, I think there's an alchemy, isn't there, of, of writing it, I think is a powerful statement. Believing in yourself and thinking you can do it without that negative voice of, mm, you're not good enough, whatever. And then the most important bit, putting in the groundwork. Putting and the you've work. done all of that. And I think look, a lot of people ask me because they see the success and they think it's, it's happened overnight. And that's why I share like the 10 year overnight success story is that I had the same struggles any personal trainer has when they get their qualification. You know, they try and either work in a gym or they're working for themselves. Like finding clients, getting someone to pay you £50 an hour to do a personal training session is, is really difficult. Mm. And I had loads of times when I'd turn up and no one would be there and I'd go flying outside the station. I was... I was so adamant and so persistent that I thought, I'm not going to give up because if I do, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to go and work for a gym and I don't want to work for someone else. I want to build my own business. So I faced the same barriers and the same knockbacks and the same setbacks, but I just refused to give up. And that's what people need. People just kind of, they get so disheartened and their confidence and their ego gets knocked so quickly that they go, well, it didn't work. I'm a failure. I'm going to give up. But you need to be stronger than that because this is what the question I ask you is like, what will you achieve in 10 years if you start right now? Like what will you achieve in this decade? Mm. You know, you could start a business now that could be global. It could be just serving a hundred people or a thousand people. Like, but you have to, you have to believe in it and actually work for it. And don't listen to the people around you saying it's not going to work. Because my, when I started doing the Instagram videos, mates of mine used to take the piss and say, <laughs> "What are you doing? You're so annoying. Why are you doing? It? You're just a busybody on this Instagram and Twitter. Like, get back to doing your boot camps." And I, some people might have taken it on and go, oh, "I'm, I'm going to go back into my shell and I'm going to stop doing my videos." But I just thought, "No, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it." And if I hadn't done that, think about it. I've sold three million books because I've done Lean in Fifteen, that mm, Instagram idea, it's and mental. All these things. I think. Imagine if I had had a, had a kind of not my confidence and just gone back to just doing boot camps. What, what would I have been doing? So wh- where does that resilience come from? Because I think that is quite rare in today's society. You know, sometimes I can be quite resilient. If I've really got an idea in my head and I want to do it, nothing's going to stop me. But there have been times a lot over the years where someone said to me, I don't think you're very good at this or you're not suited for that. And then all of a sudden I have retreated. So where does that resilience come from within you? I wish I could pinpoint and say, like, I know where it comes from, but... Because the people around me, I don't have loads of successful like, entrepreneurial friends. Like I've got really normal dudes, you know, friends that are grafters, that you know, painters and decorators and electricians and all that. And you know, everyone just works hard. But I don't have anyone like pushing me kind of um, in, into that. But um, I suppose, well, actually, no. I had a, I had a mentor called Bev who kind of was giving me giving me like help. She, in fact. I didn't know she was life coaching me. She would ask me questions like, why don't you want to be Joe Wicks? Why do you want to be the body coach? You're the lead with the team. Like you can be at the front of this business. So little things like that started to kind of challenge me a little bit. And then she would set me a task and say, you know, go away and kind of, um, you know, work on your business card or your website. So I, I think that was probably instrumental. And I think about in how I kind of set myself little goals. And where did you meet her? How did she come into I met life? her. That's a funny story. I met her through... Um, so this is me being an entrepreneur when I didn't even realise it. When I started my boot camp in Richmond, I contacted all of the companies in Richmond and said I want to give the boss, the bosses, like the CEO of the company, a free personal training session to Smart. try and get um, some clients and sort of filter down between their staff. And only one person replied, and it was her. And she got me in and said, "Look, I'm not. I don't want to do PT with you, but let's have a little chat." And she, she actually is a life coach. So she helped me with. Um, just setting a few goals and that became an amazing partnership. She actually became my manager and I don't know if you met her at um, Happy Place Festival. Oh, Do you remember did, Bev? Yeah. With, the black, with the dark hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Bev, Bev um, has managed me since since the start. So I mean, what a moment of fate that is that, you know, you sent that email out and then it's a very important person in your life now. Yeah, she, she, 
I just I got to a point where I was like I need I needed some help with this because it was getting commercial and there's all these like money and different deals coming in and book book deals and I, I didn't want to do it on my own so I said like I don't want to just go to an agency I want to do you want to be my manager and so she was really just a business a businesswoman and a and a business coach and a life coach she wasn't um really kind of an, a manager as such but it's been amazing she's got new clients now she's wow. doing so well so yeah she helps me with um you know like if I do things like you like the events and talks and stuff that's but, so cool so I suppose I've got Nikki with the body coach stuff and then Bev with the Joe Wicks and the the branding around like pots and pans and you know book deals she's my book agent and stuff that so that is so brilliant and you know th- there's a lot of loyalty there with them mm. too it's like they've been there from the start you know they're family to me now so it's um it's been a good journey it's been nice to have them in my life. Well, that is side. important that you've got people that have been there from the beginning and they're they've been in it for the right reasons from the start that's a lovely synergy for all of you because you're building something together um I was intrigued when I was sort of like reading, because obviously I know you, but I wanted to do a bit more reading around you and your life and, and how you got started. And I'm interested about your relationship with food, because I think like me, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, but growing up in the 80s and early 90s, you know, my mum was incredibly hardworking. She had four jobs. She was a cleaner. She was an orthodontist nurse. She was delivering clothes for neck. She was all over the shop doing so many brilliant things and being very inspiring in a sort of work ethic way. But she wasn't obviously the sort of mum that had time to like cook a casserole from scratch or you know get a recipe book out and make something for dinner because she was working so many jobs so I in a similar way to you was brought up on like Finder's crispy pancakes and pizzas and oh, chips God, I and love crispy pancakes no, love remember, a crispy no pancake. remembers them the chicken and mushroom crispy pancakes because they're not as old as us babes no. um yeah all of those things and to be fair I'll give my kids fish fingers every now and again because they bloody love them but food has moved on and you and I have sort of educated ourselves about what's right for us but also what we believe is um a nice diverse and full-bodied way of cooking and eating how did that start for you what was your introduction to learning about food my introduction to food was very much like you said like it was all cupboards my mum used to drink so much coke she's drinking like eight cans of coke a day wow it was like wagon wheels ice gems like oh, crisp chocolates because we were you know she was on the social on benefits and it was just like iceland you know buying yeah just free. the cheapest food the yeah. cheapest stuff you could get and it was like sandwiches and wagon wheels and you know sunny delight my diet was terrible mm. she, she could she just couldn't cook she wasn't educated in cooking and it was frozen pies and frozen food and ready meals and stuff and i i suppose um i was never overweight but when i think back to my my behavior and my attention i didn't get diagnosed with adhd but i was super hyperactive my mm. attention span was like non-existent i had behavioral issues i was naughty at school i was climbing the walls at night the food there's no doubt i must have had two or three hundred grams of sugar a day so there's no doubt knowing the science we know about nutrition that that definitely affected my sleep my attention span my behavior yeah. so i'm now obviously working massively in, in child nutrition because i've got a new book coming out weaning 15 which is my baby and toddler book and i'm so passionate about giving people and parents the confidence to cook and enjoy the weaning journey because it's quite a stressful oh kind God, of it's stressful. journey like what do I give them they're so little and am I doing it right so I, I hired an amazing nutritionist called Charlotte and we worked together um, and she guided me through the through the experience and I was complete novice I didn't know what I was doing six you know six months ago but now I've done it I've got the confidence and I'm so proud of that book and I'm going to share it and it's just so like it's non-judgmental because obviously I've told you my past and I didn't have this amazing upbringing. I was eating terrible food. But we as parents, we have we have the ability to really create amazing little foodies if we get it right from the mm. start and if we um, give them the option and the variety. And so that that's something I'm really passionate about. And I suppose I didn't really get into cooking until I was about 24, like just after university. 
I started doing the wean. Well, I started doing the Instagram, and that was kind of the catalyst for me because I thought I've done a pad thai this week. Now I want to go and do like a stir fry or a risotto. So I kept thinking, right, I've got to do new things. So I pushed myself to learn new recipes. And what was that? Because you were at uni, you were exposed to new foods, or how did you kind of get out of drinking Sunny Delight and eating pizzas and stuff? Well, I still like. I still have a. Like, I still like a blowout and I still like a bit of ice yeah, cream yeah. and a burger and chips and stuff. But uh, when I was a PT, when I started and I was doing them boot camps, I'd do the boot camp at 6am, yeah, so in the winter, like all year round, I'd go straight to the cafe, I'd have a full English with a can of Coke and a Twix. And like seven <laughs> a Twix? Like, yeah. Wow. It, in, in a cafe, they always sell Twixes and Kit Kats and Mars bars. So I'd be like, yeah, I'll have a can of Coke and a LucasAid and a Twix just a to cap it off. A breakfast chaser, whatever So this next. is me and I'm in the fitness industry, but I'm still not really understanding nutrition. When I started, then I started to just do, do a bit of research and reading and realising that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I trained, I was never like super lean and fit and strong. I changed my diet and in about six weeks I started to feel the you know the benefits and on my energy and my mood and then I started to think, right, this is what I need to do now. This is if I'm gonna get any of my clients to transform, I need to be teaching them and, and installing good habits in them. So I started sharing the tweet the Twitter um images and recipes and then I started doing the video recipes on Instagram and that kind of grew into this huge thing. Then I re- re- released the ninety day plan, which is my online business. Um and that's obviously like a meal plan and a training plan. And half a million people have signed up to that, that in is five phenomenal. years. So of all the things I've achieved, like that is just mad because that really is changing people's lives. Mm. Um but aside from the product and the business, there's also an, an amazing YouTube community where I share workouts. So I've got like millions of people doing I've them. Done him. Have you done the workout? Yeah, oh, you and Jesse doing, don't you? Pictures of the kids. Rex loves it. Rex likes to put on a little baseball shirt and an actual '80s sweatband, oh, and then he gets the yoga mat out. He loves it. Yeah, I'm doing ones of kids now, so I go into like schools and we film with like four, five, six year old kids, so that the kids at home are kind of inspired by it. But, mm, but they love it. Like I, I think because like your kids, my kids see me working out at home all the time. I don't, I don't have a gym membership. I either go running or I do a home workout or I might go to a yoga class if I have a, a time to sort of schedule one in. But they, when they see you doing it, that's their normal. And then hopefully what I'm really hoping is that they grow up with um, being active, being part of their lives and knowing that for me, the biggest thing is it's a de-stressor. That's why I'm doing it because I know that it sorts my head out. My breathing is just regulated and slowed down, which is so good for my head. And it's just a bit of me time that is so, so needed. Not every day, you know, I probably do five days a week, sometimes six days a week. And it could be very short, like a 20 minute or a run. But just integrating that into normal life, I think, is a nice thing if you if you do have the time and you can make it happen. That's such a good point. And I did a post last night, a little video of Indy doing the abs roller, you know, the roller mm, thing. She came in the gym because I'm, I'm, she's 18 months old and she's already learning from me because I'm role modeling to her. Like she's seeing that I exercise. She's seeing it makes me laugh. She's seeing I'm always happier afterwards. So she's seeing the effects of exercise on me mentally. And now my whole, my whole ethos and mission is about stop exercising to look good and start doing it to feel good. Yeah. If you have that mindset, if you do it because you want energy, because you want to wake up and you know, have an amazing day and feel positive and be patient with your husband or more, more, um, you know, affectionate to people because you are like when you exercise, it makes you a better human. Yeah. So that's my narrative. Now I don't really talk about fat loss and getting lean and all that because that is not a big enough motivator. If you exercise to feel good and you do it long enough, then you look round six months later or a year later, then you feel and look, you know, you look well, amazing. I think you notice the differences sooner, don't you? Because I think it's quite frustrating if you're not seeing results physically, if you want them. And that can then just stop you even bothering. And, and, I, and I like that new mission of yours because that's certainly why I exercise. Is if I go for a run, my God, I feel so amazing after mentally. It's, 
you know, I'll have that buzz all day long. But of course, there is the other side of it. If people do feel they want to or need to make a change to their body type or to how they feel when they're moving and and when they're exercising. And of course, you've had as part of your plan, you know, you get to see those quite remarkable comparisons between someone at the start of the plan and at the end of the plan. How do you stop that from playing into self-loathing? Because is there a place for people to just feel okay in the body they're they're already in? Or would you always say there's room for physical improvement? I think the transformation serve two purposes. Obviously, it's very motivating for people to see someone who might have a similar body shape, you know, go through that journey. But I also understand it could demotivate people so I always say like don't compare your transformation be inspired by it and it's not just the visual it's like more important than that visual is the the testimonial if you read the bit underneath of the mum that's got three kids and she works two jobs or she's you know doing shifts and still managed to transform her life and the way she eats around her kids like that's the real powerful stuff so I'm very aware of that and I try and always push the positive stuff and the real mental health um, benefits of, of, of the testimonials but you know people like I said it's not I was very much driven when I was younger by you know you know, your, your vanity, your ego, how you look, going to Ibiza, going to Vegas, looking a certain way. But that dwindles, that motivation, you lose that. So now my motivation is I want to be nice to Rosie and Indy. I want to be really energized. I want to be a really good entrepreneur and I'll be able to work hard and treat the people around me well. And so exercise is the quickest way to achieve that. And so always have that as your motivation. Always have it as the the thing that's going to get you up when it's winter, when it's dark and, and it's raining. And people always say, I just don't have the motivation to exercise, but it isn't going to hit you in the morning like that. The motivation is at the end of the workout. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's where you feel good. I'm sure when you do a run or you do an exercise day, you probably have more ideas and you're more focused and oh you get God, more done. Oh my God, I have all right? my ideas when I'm running. That's where if, I, I mean, if I'm struggling for an idea for a book or whatever... That clarity of getting out of the house and even if it's freezing, getting that fresh air, getting the endorphins going, I usually go in the morning. So watching the sunrise, like I love those moments, even if I feel like I can't be asked in the morning or even for the first five minutes, I'm like, this is hellish. I know at the end, like you say, you get that great little euphoric moment and it's, um, it's a really lovely moment. And I... Like you, you know, probably in my 20s, I was much more vanity led. Like, what do I look like? And what am I wearing? What should my hair be like? Now, look at us. We don't give a monkey. I couldn't give a toss, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I need to tell you something quickly. I got a vote. You've seen how I dress. I'm terrible dressing right now. I got (laughs) voted. GQ magazine voted me the 10th worst dressed man in Britain. And I went to an event. You know the Incredibles. Why do they even have polls like that? How fucking stupid is that? Someone at GQ hates me because they're always digging me out. But um, yeah. Oh, I I mean, God Almighty! How ridiculous! I also went to my brother. Said, "Oh, we got invited to um, premiere of the Incredibles," and I was like, "Let's take Oscar, our little nephew." When I got, like, it was the summer, it was boiling hot, so I'm turned, I turned up in shorts and granddad slippers, like rubber slippers that you like wear on the beach, and I got papped, and it's in the Daily Mail, and it's like one of the top Google images, like, look how bad this guy dresses. Oh, I love it. So all the I boys dig it. me out. But yeah, I think the, the sooner you don't worry about what people think about you, the happier you become. I really believe that. Yeah, you that. laugh about it, and you have fun. It, I mean, it is ludicrous how much attention there still is on what we all bloody look like and like that GQ thing what's right or what's wrong what there's no right or wrong you just put clothes on and if you feel good in them or you're comfy in them or for whatever reason you put them on that is good enough well I'm, I'm normally like, half naked I'm normally in like tight light cycling shorts yeah. or wearing really like crap like gym kit but yeah it's this it's the media is savages aren't they like for guys as well but for females you know the stuff they write about you know these 
women that gain a bit of weight. They're just they're, it's terrible. Mm. It? It's so hard. I've had it. I, had, I was papped. I was papped when I was. I've been rarely papped on the beach, but the two times I have, I've not particularly looked what would be deemed as my best because I had either just got pregnant or just given birth, and I had these big milky boobs, and I was coming out of the sea, and I had a belly and all sorts, and it's like. Why is that a, a point that we all have to kind of concentrate on and then vilify or mock or whatever? It's just ludicrous, the whole thing. And and I do get really concerned, especially as, you know, you've got a daughter, I've got a daughter and a stepdaughter, and you see young women growing up today with so many visuals of what women could and perhaps are, um, are, are, are told should look like with, you know round juicy bums and thongs up them and over the shoulder tiny waists and I just think ah help I don't I can't deal with this I just want there to be many more options and also that that isn't even something that we have to focus on why can't we look at what people are capable of their creativity or their what's going on in their brains or their thought process or what they're capable of writing, saying. There's just so much attention on the body still. It's I know. mad. I think it's, I think it's just always been the way, but it's just probably worse now because we used to just have, you know, magazines and now it's social media. And it's mm. like it's like me and you, like the media that print these horrible stories, it's like me and you collectively have got millions of followers, right? We wouldn't go on our Instagram and post a picture and say, look at mate, he gained all the weight, he looks a bit squidgy. I like, mean, I just, would we wouldn't do it. So why, why, Awful. why do they do that and put it on you know on these apps and stuff and all these websites like it's irresponsible and it's dangerous because you know i think it's quite old-fashioned you know i'm not sitting here saying i've done everything perfectly in my life i certainly haven't and i've done interviews and jobs that i wouldn't do the same today as i might have in the past but i do think in this day and age where we all know how delicate our mental states are and we're all trying our best to create and cultivate a lovely environment for our for the next generation who are growing up to feel mentally stable and supported in this weird world that we live in. Doing that in magazines, in whatever guise it, it takes, is old-fashioned and really cruel and also not good for other people to see because I think the more all of us are exposed to pointing fingers at people because they look a certain way or they've done certain things and being... Uh, and, and sort of, you know, bullying in a sense, the more used to it we get. And that's not good for anyone. You know, that needs to be the abnormal that um, we're not used to seeing that. And there is a, a bigger sense of community. So I massively salute you for just getting on with your thing. And you've never let any of that deter you or or stop you in your tracks. And People can dig you out and, you know, say you're not doing the right thing. But I never react or engage or retaliate. I always just stay positive. And that's why my Instagram and my channels are just a place of positivity where I celebrate other people's transformations and other other parents that are doing well with weaning or it's not always about me like it in the early days it's like this is my this is my business and this is what I'm doing but now it's actually it's all on the, it's all on the, my, my community and my audience and that's that's what really motivates me like mm. I've just been I filmed a workout this morning for my YouTube channel because this morning I got a message from someone saying I've just done the first workout and I've been I've had anxiety and I feel great and thank you so much so when I hear these that's messages awesome he just, just go go on go and do another one and so it's like kind of it's constantly like a, an energy. I've got this flow state of like continual effort and energy because of the momentum that I'm getting from other people as well. It really helps. Mm, well, I think it's brilliant and um, long may it continue. And um, 
and I just wish you all the the luck with whatever you might manifest next because there's going to be some good stuff to come I'm sure well, I want more kids now don't I how many are you having? I'm going to have a break though but honestly now I keep there's an article like I want four by 40 which I'd love but I actually think now I've got a boy and a girl I feel a lot more content I feel like I've got one of each I'm so chuffed would you if stop it, there or if it was another girl I reckon we would have been going for the third but I think we'll have a break I'd like to have a break and enjoy them and travel with them a little bit and then obviously yeah and no, I definitely want more I reckon we'll have four really probably. you've got two haven't you Got two got and two stepkids. Step step My stepkids yeah. step are older, so it's you know they're they're easier in a sense on a practical level because they can wipe their own bums, thank yeah. God, and all that. Um, but oh my God, I I am so happy with what we've got in this house going on, and I I am exhausted as you can probably hear. I have not got a proper voice at the moment. It's been like this for the whole of Christmas because. We've been crazily herring around. Oh, you went to Finland, didn't you? We went that to looks Finland. So good. Was it amazing? Oh, look what I've got for Marley. Oh, I've got a Marley present. some Finnish snowshoes. Oh my God, they're so cute. Aren't they so I, cute? When I saw that, I was like, I've got to do that when they're a bit older. It You've just, got to You did go like the husky, husky sleds and stuff. Husky rides and sledging. Oh my so God, he's got his so own little cute. pair of Finnish boots for when he goes to Finland. That is beautiful. He'll oh, love they're them. They're so cute. Um, but yeah, no, I can Thank safely you. say that I don't think I could handle another child in this house or cat shitting on my floor or whatever we're we're very busy in this house um but look thank you and you're always welcome to pop over for tea you know that you're down the road and thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much i've really enjoyed it and i hope that um the listeners have taken some you know value from it and and, and enjoy the um the conversation but um good luck with your next episode and i look forward to hearing it Oh, thank you, Joe, you lovely person and brilliant neighbour. What a treat to spend some quality time with Joe. Um, the podcast is basically a cover story. If you like this episode, why not subscribe and get new episodes weekly? You can do that for free via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts on your smart speaker of choice. And to find out who might be on next week's show, you can find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. There's always sneaky little clues left there for you. Massive thanks again to Joe, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. Thank you. Really means a lot. Um, I love it. Take it easy. Bye. See you Monday. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,